This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. Today with me is Jenny Field, founder of Redefining Communications and author of Influential Internal Communication. Streamline your corporate communications to drive efficiency and engagement. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Hello, Scott. Nice to be here. Oh, thank you. And thank you very much for your time today. Uh, so Redefining Communications was founded in 2017 and I know that was after a storied career in various <laughs> communication roles. I'm interested because you've also been a public speaker, which I assume you haven't been doing so much of over this last year. But oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but you've applied a lot of those skills to your podcast, Carmed yeah. Rebels. And so I'm really looking to discuss today the whole concept of internal communications and how to influence and improve internal communications at work. But before we go into the topic in detail, I kind of briefly mentioned a few things that you've done in your career there, but can you maybe describe to me how redefining communications come to fruition in 2017? Sure. So uh, so I have a degree in marketing and having uh, finished university, my first job was in the public sector. So I started to work as a communications assistant running uh, a press office and writing, editing magazines for the community, all those lovely bits and pieces. And after doing that for a few years, decided that I loved the media side of uh, communications. So went off and became a media relations advisor for a large international defense company, which was brilliant because I was able to learn a lot about the trade press, um, learn a lot about the difference between public sector and private sector. Uh, and that was a really great experience. Lots of travel, lots of technology and radars and all sorts of things. And you quickly realize that when you're dealing with the trade press, that your passion for a, uh, a particular industry has to be there. And it just wasn't quite there for me, I think. So uh, so after that, I went and worked in the advertising sector. And that's where I started to specialize in internal communication. So I set up a function there. It was the first function I'd set up in internal communications. And since then, I've gone on to set up about four other communication functions in different organizations. But it was there that I realized essentially my passion for internal communication and how you can impact people's lives at work and how important it is to make sure that people are having a good time while they work. So I had about 18 months there. Then I went and worked in an agency that was an internal communications agency, and I was their business development and marketing manager. And then I went to London and worked as internal communications manager for a, a large hospitality business. And I was there for about six, six, seven years. And I worked my way from internal communications manager for the UK up to the global head of communications after the organization floated. And uh, that was an incredible experience. And I think when you're communicating with a workforce that's predominantly offline, so people serving coffee and baguettes in train stations and airports, you really understand the need for, for good communication. Um, so from there, I was then headhunted and went to become communications director for a pharmaceutical company who was going through a large merger and acquisition. And I did about a year there and then decided it was time to go and do something else. It wasn't a great cultural fit for me in that organization. And people had said to me for a long time that I should become a consultant and go out on my own. And it was very much a case of, if not now, when? So I took the deep breath and decided to launch Redefining Communications in June 2017. 
And I, I started the business with about four clients and it's continued to grow and it's been an incredible journey. I don't do anything that I thought I would do when I started the business, but that's the joy of running your own consultancy. Um, and yes, it's been four years now and it's, uh, it's very different to what I thought it would be, but it's hugely rewarding and fulfilling to be able to help different organizations explore the power of communication. Thinking your career through, what's really interesting to me as you spoke through that is that the communication skills and experience in public relations is very different and the intent of those skills are very different in public relations versus advertising versus internal communications. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of the full spectrum of communication experience that you have. And I'm really interested just to know, was there anything that motivated you to specialize in the internal communication part? Um, I think it was just the ability to have more flexibility with it. So having done media relations for a while, it felt very fixed in terms of what you could do. There was a press release, there was a trade pack. It was very formulaic. And I think the creativity that comes with internal communication was something I really enjoyed, that ability to explore doing things creatively differently. You know, how can we really engage these people in this latest initiative? How can we really make, you know, behavior change as a result of this? And that's what I really enjoyed about it. After doing it inside an organization for about a year or so, working at an agency is probably what really cemented my passion for it. Because when you work in an agency, you kind of get more embedded in the industry, if that makes sense. So I was able to start networking, meeting people. I wrote a white paper on the use of social media and internal communication. And all of those things allowed me to sort of, I think, really experience what was possible and just get quite immersed in it as a, as a profession. And with redefining communication, so during this episode, we'll get a real good feel for the services that you offer and who you help. But in your own words, do you just want to provide a, a summary before we go into some of the detail of the podcast? Yeah. So I always say that I help organizations, leaders and teams essentially go from chaos to calm. Um, and we do that in a variety of different ways. So I have the model that I created, which is the field model, um, and another tool called Panoptic, which helps us really diagnose what's going on inside organizations. But alongside that, we also work as an extension of a team. So if people need some extra support on a project or they need some additional skills to upskill the team, we'll go in and do that. Um, and we also do workshops around communication skills, productivity and mental resilience, which are all linked to how you communicate and the relationships that you have inside organizations. So that's essentially what we do. And I say we because whilst it is me, I have what I call a team of, of collective experts. So I work with people who run their own businesses and they form my collective team. So if a client needs um, some graphic design, they need some copywriting, they need an event, I've got different people that I can pull in to create a team to support that client. Yeah, we'll go into that. And chaos to calm is a phrase that I kept coming across. <laughs> so we will definitely talk about going from chaos to calm as uh, yeah, later in this episode. And of course, I can't really... I can't really get through this introduction without discussing the book and specifically the process of book writing, because that's also an aspect of communication that's, I think that was your first book. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it, it is. It, yeah. And it's a completely different form of communication to, I know you mentioned there that you had written white papers, but I'm interested to know where the motivation for the book came from. Um, I'm always interested to know that story. It's, it takes a, either a trigger or a defining point in someone's life to say, do you know what? I've got to put this down for, for legacy, for history purposes. So what led to it? <laughs> I think part of it for me was the amount that I read. So I read quite a lot of books. And, and if you ever hear me speak or in anything else, I'll always be referencing various different books that I've read over the years. And I got to the point where I was thinking, do you know, if every business leader could read just little bits of these books... <laughs> then I'm pretty sure it would make work much easier for them. So that was part of it, was trying to take little bits of the things that I've read. And then when I developed the field model, the simplicity of that was starting to really resonate with people when I was talking to them. So taking that model and then the insight around that from everything else I've read was really the driving force behind it. I do really believe that anyone inside an organisation can learn a bit more about what it is to be human, the power of communication to build relationships at work. And if we all just understood some of those little things, work would be much easier, much better, 
um, much more productive, much more efficient, all of those things. That's really interesting. I, I know it's not really the theme of this episode, but with leadership and, and reading, leadership can be a lonely place and it can be mm. somewhat comforting, but also educating to read the experiences of, uh, and it doesn't really matter whether the people are well known or not. Just reading the experiences of your peers in that way can be really reassuring. And so I value that too. Yeah, there's definitely something about making sure that you're not alone. And and you're right, working in a leadership role can be really isolating. And for those that work in internal communications, it can also be quite isolating because you can often be a a team of one or or quite a small team. So anything that's going to help you realise that you're not alone, that it's okay to feel this way, that it's quite normal to feel this way, um, I just think is really helpful for all of us. And one final question about the book. So I know it can be quite a time intensive period. And it also can force you to self-reflect or analyze in a way that you maybe you hadn't before because you're there with a piece of paper or a laptop screen and you're currently, you're just faced with your thoughts in this kind of really real way. And I'm interested to know going through that experience, whether you learn anything new about yourself or about internal communications in a way that you haven't seen before or that came to light in a new way. It's interesting what you say about being alone with your thoughts. I have said to people, this is probably the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. It's literally my brain in a book. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest things, I mean, I wrote this throughout 2020. So it was a particularly challenging year for many. The thing I realized about myself was that I'm very uh, location motivated, if that makes sense. So Having to to be in the same room for a year and writing, I found quite challenging. I missed going and working in coffee shops and things like that that would normally be my my space to go and focus, and that really came came forward. Uh, there were things that I read while researching to write the book around chaos, uh, and there's not much written about chaos in organisations, but there was one particular journal paper that I reference in the book that was incredibly helpful to think about chaos and management. And I was totally geeking out when I was reading that. So that was that was really good. And I think also the thing about writing the book, which is different to writing a white paper, is the need for repetition. And I had um, publishers, which was helpful because they could help me make sure that it was going to be a useful and well-written book. But the need to sort of repeat yourself or reference back to other parts of the book was quite alien to me. And they said it was because quite often people will flick through a book rather than read the whole thing. So you've got to make sure you're bringing forward points that maybe you've already covered, but that would be relevant in certain chapters, which I hadn't really thought about. And that was just a a different style of writing to what I was used to. That's really interesting. And yes, a lot of the themes from the book we discussed today, but um, if you do want that book, the link to the book will be in the show notes for our listeners too. I want to move on to common challenges and solutions. So the things that have come up regularly, particularly at Redefining Communications, but also more generally throughout your career that indicate that there are deep-rooted communication issues at play. And I think about the starting point for this. I'm just curious to know who's picking up the phone to talk to you. Um, If you could maybe describe the type (laughs) of person that you're speaking to, the role, and maybe the the state they're in when they're coming to you for the first time. So it's it's a real mix of people that I talk to. Sometimes it's a small business owner. Sometimes it's somebody that's running an international business. Um, sometimes it's a communications function. It, it always varies. But the the reason for picking up the phone is because there's something that's just not quite right. And and I talk a lot about symptoms and, and diagnosing the root cause. And that's essentially what, what people are picking up the phone to say is something's not something's not working. You know, it can be people aren't doing what we need them to do. People aren't following the processes that we've put in place. And 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 it, we're just not working how, how as well as we could do. Quite often, it's conflict. People aren't aren't getting on, or there's issues between teams or between leadership and employees, and people can't find a way out the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And also, sometimes it's it's a high turnover of staff. It's people off on stress. It's there's something going on that's causing some element of of chaos inside the organisation, and we're not really sure how. To, to kind of fix that or how to move forwards. And that's usually when people will pick up the phone. I know you mentioned there that it was uh, a broad range of different types of professionals, I think you said, or business size. But is it typically more line managers and business owners as opposed to employees that would pick up the phone and say this to you? Because they're 
typically the ones that would commission someone to come in, right? Yes. Yeah. But when you talk to people and you say what you do, and if they're not a leader or a line manager, everyone will say, oh, my God, we need you to come in and help us. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, no matter what. So, yeah, it's predominantly, you know, business owners, uh, people like uh, HR directors, operations directors, that sort of level, corporate affairs, that sort of thing. So a real, but a real mix. And it also depends on what's going on. It's more often a, a communications team if they need that extra support with a project or an event. But we are, I am working with a communications team at the moment going through the field model with them to help them look at how they can adapt and change to suit the organizational needs that are, are changing and adapting at the same time. So it's that helping people navigate through okay, what is it we need to do? And and actually going into that root cause of what it is that you need to do rather than just dealing with what's on the surface. It's so interesting that it feels like there needs to be like an employee SOS button that's yeah. <laughs> under the table. So that, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's admirable that there are leaders and, and business owners there and CEOs and that will pick up the phone and say, hey, we've got a problem. And that's what you're looking for from leadership. You're, you're looking for people to identify when there's something that they can't fix themselves uh, as a team but there are plenty of managers as you've probably come across yourself that are maybe ignorant to those problems or blind to those problems and wouldn't pick up up the phone out of pride and so it's sad to think that there are employees out there who probably want to help their own businesses and and need to phone someone like you (laughs) yeah that's true and it's interesting because sometimes people will pick up the phone Mm -hmm. and we'll have a bit of a chat and and a conversation and I I can quite quickly sort of maybe give a couple of things that I can see might be the root cause and sometimes those people will go away and they won't come back for a couple of years and that's fairly common because you have to be ready to have some of those conversations like you said there are things that stop you from from doing that so even if you do pick up the phone and we start to have quite a real conversation about what's going on you have to be ready to to do that and that is very much about being open and 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 ready to hear stuff that's a little bit uncomfortable and i tend to find it's a bit about a two year gap between maybe that initial oh something's not quite right and then it can be two years before it gets to right now it's really not okay and we really need some help so I try and get people before it gets to that point but it's it is often a couple of years isn't that fascinating the two-year period of like dwell time that people will leave it's that's really interesting to me that no people might either try and resolve that themselves Mm -hmm. or I think what it highlights actually more than anything to me is the lengths that we'll go to to avoid difficult conversations (laughs) (laughs) yeah two years is a really long time so yeah if you're listening to this and you're struggling please don't wait two years (laughs) pick up the phone call Jenny um I'm interested to know from the perspective of so you've been in businesses and you support businesses that actually haven't uh sorry that have picked up the phone and and then you go through that process of really diagnosing what the problems are but if I'm a line manager, if I'm a business owner, I'm in a business now. How do you identify the difference between deep-rooted issues versus the things that are more surface level, easy to solve? So it's a really good question. And it really depends on on the relationships and the culture of the organization. So you know, if you're leading a team or you're leading an organization, you might know enough of the personalities and the people in there, and you might be, you know, very self-aware and and know how to adapt and change and, and you can, you know, work a way through that. For a lot of people, I tend to find that that's, that's not necessarily the case. So if people have got that high turnover of staff, which can sometimes be happening or lots of people going off on stress or people just not being very, very happy and lots of conflict, People won't necessarily be able to identify why that's happening, or if they are able to identify it, they're often misdiagnosing it and saying it's one thing when it's something else. So it's making sure that you're looking at if there is this issue. So let's say, for example, you've got really high turnover of staff or people are going off on on stress. Do you know why that's happening? So have you looked at whether there's any patterns about whether it's certain parts of the business where that's happening? And that might suggest that there's a certain leader in the business who is causing some challenges. Have you had real conversations with those people and had time with them to really listen to what's going on and what's happening and what is going on around the organization at the same time? So sometimes we can just focus in on, okay, there's lots of people going off on stress or or sick. But what's happening around that? If you focus in on one thing too much, you'll be blind to the other things going on. So 
you can put some fixes in place and, and you can look at being able to create some change. But if it's not actually making the changes that you need to see, then that's when you know, okay, maybe this isn't actually the issue that I think it is. And maybe we do need some help. Um, but I think you've kind of got to try as well. And that's the part of the reason for writing the book was to kind of help people think about things differently so that they could try and put fixes in place and do things that would create that change. Mm-hmm. But part of that is also identifying what it is that good looks like at the end, because that's also the thing to to have a measure so that you know what you're aiming for. Otherwise, you're just sort of floundering in the wind, which is never a good place to be. Mm. There's so many questions I want to ask about that period. So maybe if I was just start there, you said, about knowing what you want success to look like at the end. And I'm interested when when you're speaking to people for those first few meetings, are there any signs for you? Would you ever not work with a company? Is there, are there any instances where communications to you feel irreparable? Oh, I always think there's a solution. If you ask yeah. any of my friends or whatever, like Jenny's the one that will always have a solution. <laughs> um, so I always think there is. I will not I will not, gosh, that was bold, wasn't it? I will not work with someone who isn't ready. And and I think that's the crux of it. You know, if I, and I've had some conversations with people where I've said, you know, this is already, you've used language or you've said things like this. This is what I think might be contributing. If they then kind of bite back on that or they say, no, that's, you know, then I know, okay, you're not ready. And this, and also I don't want to waste their money. That's not fair because Mm. you have to, be ready to to do that and invest the time and you know some financial side of it as well. If, and if you're not ready to do that, then I wouldn't feel comfortable ethically, you know, working with somebody that wasn't in that space. So that's the only reason I wouldn't, mm. because it, it there is some elements of coaching leaders and changing behaviours and all of those things that go with it. So yeah, if you're not ready, then that's probably the only reason I would shy away. Yeah. So it strikes me like not being ready in terms of your mindset so the openness Mm -hmm. to change and I guess the other thing that's on my mind here is time so I guess it's a time investment and you have to commit and put in the time and be prepared to do that as a company as well yeah I mean it's not a massive amount of time usually the people I work with it's a it's about a three-month process um four months if you include that sort of initial conversation and we'll work together you know gathering the insight and then you get the the fixed report, if you like, in terms of this is everything you need to do. You might choose to to hire me to do that in terms of leading that project through and making sure it gets done. Or you might take that and then run with it as an organization. I have clients that do various different different things there. Um, But it's not, for me, it's not about it being a huge investment of time for the leadership team, because anything that's going to take time away from running the business is always going to be something that's a struggle to, to get. But it's about making sure that I've got access and the people that I need and that people will make time to have conversations, but it shouldn't eat into huge amounts of time. Um, And I think that's probably the thing that puts people off is making it think, God, it's going to be hours and days and months and years, whereas actually you can get under the root of something fairly quickly when you can ask the right questions. Yeah, that's interesting. And also if you're open to being asked those questions and you're in that place where you're ready to respond then everything speeds up from there. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned quick fixes as you were talking a moment ago, and this is the part that kind of makes me cringe and I imagine might make a lot of our listeners cringe because there might be business owners or line managers that know that there's a problem, maybe have swept it under the carpet or have applied quick fixes and, you know, paid out some money for things that they knew were just temporary uh, or superficial in nature. And I'm just interested to know in your experience where you see people spend money where maybe they shouldn't because it is just a quick fix. So people will spend money on creative campaigns to try and and make something look amazing or they'll see something like, oh, everyone's off on stress. Let's do a wellbeing campaign and and help everyone. That's not the answer. Um, So it's things like that because, again, you're just treating the symptoms with something and that's where – it's not going to help the the, the long term. Mm-hmm. There's also probably putting in technology that you think is going to be the silver bullet. And I think this has been the story for internal communications for, gosh, at least probably 10 years where everyone thought, oh, technology is going to solve all our problems. <laughs> um, and it doesn't. And data year on year will tell you technology is not the answer. So I think that's the other thing is thinking that we'll just invest in some tech and then that will solve everything mm-hmm. when it's much bigger than that. So they're probably 
the biggest things that I could, I see people doing. And also just keeping on hammering the same thing. So I've worked with people where they've, you know, we've got a process for this. And I'll say, well, that process clearly isn't working because people aren't following it. Yeah, but they just need to follow it. Well, maybe the process needs to change because people will follow something if it makes their jobs easier. If you're making things harder, then we need to have a look at that. Mm-hmm. But they'll just keep hammering this process and, you know, it's the right process, it's the right process. And I've gone in, you know, pre-2020, gone into offices and just ripped processes off the walls and said, well, you've got to start again because it's, it's, it, you can't keep, you know, hammering that same nail. It's not going to work. And I think there's that's what is a waste of time and money, just keeping on doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's interesting. I think that's great advice. Thank you. And you also mentioned about the breadth of type uh, of organizations that you work with, both small and larger. And I was thinking about this myself, having worked in bigger companies and smaller companies, and I'm currently in a small agency. And I suspect that the communication issues that you try to solve change quite a lot as a company grows. So I'm really just curious to know whether that assumption is correct. Do you face different types of communication challenges as a company grows or does it remain the same? It's fairly similar. You'd think they would be dramatically different, yeah. but actually a lot of it comes down to the skills of the leadership and the line managers. Right. And if you have a leader who isn't a particularly good communicator, then whether you're a large or a small organization, the impact of that is is felt. So it's not necessarily about the processes or, or things like that. It's more about the, the skills of the people that are working there and making sure that people can understand how to build relationships and how to communicate effectively and people doing what they say they're going to do and all those things that create trust. The only thing in larger organizations is matrix management and the impact that can have. And that's only coming to light for me at the moment because I'm doing some research into the role of line managers mm. and uh, what that needs to look like going forwards. And there's definitely something about if a manager reports into multiple people, which is often the case in larger organizations, their happiness and engagement is much lower than if they just report to one person. So mm. there are things that will contribute, but from a communication perspective, so much of it is skills-based. That's a fascinating insight. Sorry, did you say that you were working on a, a research project or, or is that part of redefining communications a client there? No, I'm. Um, so I do industry research yeah. generally because I want to change the world. So I've done remotely interested, which was research into how to communicate with a deskless workforce, and then now we're doing some industry research into the role of line managers, which is all um, will be available for free for people to to read and and shape their organisations differently as a result. That was going to be my next question because that sounds really interesting. <laughs> uh, when when will that be released, roughly? So the initial findings should be released in the next few weeks. We'll be doing an event on the 26th of May, um, which will be a free event to come and hear the research. And then we're hoping to do a more in-depth report when we can get some more people, more line managers to complete the survey, um, hoping to get some more in-depth stuff out later on in the year. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Amazing. Uh, I'll look out for that and encourage our listeners to too. I want to move into this area of going from chaos to calm. I want to I want to run into the chaos here and understand what's <laughs> happening. So 
you actually alluded to earlier, you have models to help diagnose the root cause of communication issues, the field model and the panoptic model. And there's loads of information about this on your website. So again, I'll link to that so people can read through that in detail. But I am interested to know, perhaps if you could describe them and the differences between the two models, how do you know which one to apply? So Panoptic is only for leadership teams, and it is a um, diagnostic survey that allows you to refocus the organization, and it's quick. So if someone was to come to me to say, as a leadership team, we need to refocus the organization, but we're not really sure what to do, when, and what's a priority, or what elements we need to shift, Panoptic would be the answer, because it's four weeks from that phone call to completion, And the survey covers around seven themes. So we look at things like adaptability, capability, the connection, strategy, velocity, those different bits and pieces. And then you'll get a report that helps you identify whether the leadership team are aligned, whether they're not, whether there's the capability in the leadership team to do what you need it to do. And then we'll also outline what you should focus on for the next, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months. So that's quite a quick um, snapshot piece to allow you to refocus, and that's only for leadership teams. The field model is very different in the sense of you're working with me one to one. It's the three phases of that model, which are understand, diagnose, and fix. And I always use the medical analogy, and I've talked about symptoms a bit today, which is is where that comes from. So the field model allows us to understand you've got a headache diagnose the root cause of that headache, which might be that you need new glasses, and then fix that by giving you new glasses. What organizations tend to do is understand they've got a headache and then just take a painkiller. So you're not then dealing with that root cause. So when we work through the field model, you'll be coming to me because you understand something's going on. I will help diagnose that. And that will be done through various ways, depending on what you need for your organization. The clients I'm working with at the moment is a series of stakeholder interviews as groups and a couple of one-to-ones. For others, there might be a survey. For others, there might be just one-to-one listening interviews. It all all varies depending on what you need. And then from there, we'll do a workshop or a session where I'll take you through the things you need to do to fix whatever it is that we're trying to solve. So that's the the difference between the two. Do you find that you get more rich information from employees through a different type of medium. So do you have any preference about how you gather that initial data? For example, are people more open through surveys or one-to-one conversations or does it not matter? So it really depends on on what's going on in the organization. So my preference is always to do one-to-one interviews yeah. uh, because you get much richer data and insight from those. But you have to think about the size of the organization and what it is that you're trying to fix. If there is a situation where you have got people going off on stress, high turnover, Mm. a survey wouldn't work because it doesn't show that you care. It feels somewhat um, faceless and you wouldn't get the information that you need. I, I often use them together. So when we've worked with clients where we might be looking at both the employee experience, but also the customer experience, we have done a combination of things where we've done one to one interviews with customers and then we've done a survey and one-to-one um, interviews with employees. And we've created the survey after doing the customer interviews so we can prove or disprove what we're being told. So you can use things together in lots of different ways, but it's making sure that you're using the right tool for the situation. And in the book, I've got some tables in there that tell you which tool to use for which whichever situation you're in as well. Now, that's really helpful because I'm thinking back through my, and I think everyone listening has probably had this experience that, you know, maybe you're you're at work, there's something serious that's happened, maybe it's communication issue or otherwise, and then someone sends around a survey to try and solve a problem and you're you kind of roll your eyes and you're yeah. thinking, you know, this feels insincere. This doesn't feel suitable to solve this problem. Yeah, it's definitely that. And I there's also a lot of talk about survey fatigue and everyone mm. being a bit inundated with them. And I'll often talk as well as some of my um, friends in the industry will say there isn't really a survey fatigue. You only get that if people aren't taking action on the back of the insights that you're gathering. So that's the important thing. If you're going to go and ask the questions, you've got to be prepared to do action and tell people what you're doing and by when and all of those things. People just get bored if you're just asking questions and they see no change. I took a note and I'd written the note in front of me for this because it really stood out to me as an area which I think a lot of leaders need help with but also employees 
And I think I took this from your website. I can't remember if it's from your website or your book, but it says, it must be from your website actually, because it reads like a website copy, but it says, we work with leaders to help them explore their own style, their impact on the organization and how things get done. And I really thought that was an interesting service to offer because I don't, again, just from personal experience, I've never seen enough attention given to employees to help them develop their own style of communication. Uh, And for me, communication is a style. It's something that you Mm -hmm. kind of, you grow into, you find your comfort zone in, you you have to challenge yourself, but also there's a level of acceptance and self-analysis involved in that process. So it's something I'm really passionate about. And I was thinking about this and thinking, well, it's, it's one thing to work with a leader to help them explore their own style and help them reflect on the impact that has on an organization. But I also feel like it might be a different process to go through to actually help an employee or leader find their style for the first time. And I was just interested to know whether you kind of offer both of those services and how they might differ. Yeah, so so I do, and they they probably differ in in a in a fairly you know sort of simple way, which I hadn't realised until we were having this conversation. So so I do a lot of work coaching leaders and helping them explore how they communicate, things that they say, things that they do, how aligned they are. Um, you know, helping them identify where they might be leaving people feeling anxious and in a state of ambiguity. So it's more coaching for leaders. We do workshops on impactful communication skills and that is generally run with employees so there's some theory around how to communicate effectively and there's sort of six keys to impactful communication and in those workshops what we do is I'll ask people to send me some things in advance so send me an an email that you sent or a presentation that you gave or something that you wrote that either went really well or, or didn't go as you expected at all and give me a bit of that context. And then I'll review those things. In the workshop, we'll go through the theory. And then we will then look at the pieces of work that they sent in advance, because then you can see how things need to change or adapt based on what you've learned from a theory perspective. But so much of that is about identifying what's acceptable to you and what's not acceptable to you from a communication and relationship perspective. And that's where things like the resilience workshops and the productivity workshops come in place because so much of that is about boundaries. So much of that is about identifying how you want to communicate, how you want to have those relationships at work and what's acceptable to you. So all of that is about finding your style and what what works for you. And that just takes a little bit of time. But you, there's quick things you can do and people will be quite quick to say, Oh God, yeah, you know, I hate, um, I never listen to voicemail. This is probably me talking, to be honest, but you know, they'll say, Oh, I never, I don't like listening to voicemail or I don't like calling people. Well, then put on your voicemail, you know, leave me a text if it's urgent or, you know, you can steer people into the way that you want to be communicated with, depending on your own preferences. And you can adapt and find your style in terms of whether or not you're, you know, I'm quite be brief, be quick, be gone. For other mm-hmm. people, they will take time. But but find what works for you and embrace that and and be consistent. And that's probably the biggest thing is don't jump around all over the place because that's what leads people to distrust. And I love the flip side. I think you alluded to it as you were talking, which is the resilience part. So it's one thing to have your own communication style, how you're communicating with the world externally. It sounds like it's a different thing to help someone improve their communication resilience by putting into place their own boundaries or frameworks for what they, I think you said, used the phrase, what they find acceptable. Mm-hmm. So is that something you support and work with too? Yeah. So we've, we do resilience workshops for, for various different clients, which is helping people just think about the relationships at work and what they're doing to make sure that those relationships are working effectively. And so much of that is through communication. So I always talk a bit about the brain and how the brain works and how we're built as human beings and how that links to our relationships at work and how that links to communication because it's all interlinked. And I think if we don't explore some of those things, then it becomes very difficult to communicate effectively at work. So if you were working and you had a to-do list that was, you know, 20 things on it, you're feeling really overwhelmed. People keep ringing. Your boss is then asking for something else. Someone else has said, can you do this? Because they were from holiday. And before you know it, you've got all these things to do. It's incredibly overwhelming. 
and you're at that risk of absolutely kind of folding in on yourself. Now, all of those things can be overcome with better communication. That's it's just a case of knowing what to say, how to say it, how to manage time, how to to have those sort of boundaries in place to do that. But all of it comes from conversation. And I think that's so often forgotten at work that it's being able to have that courage sometimes to say, I can't do this. And it's finding the right ways to say that for your style and for you, but also to make sure that people aren't overloading you too much. And all of that is just putting boundaries in place and saying no. And that leads really nicely on to uh, another area that I want to talk about. So we've spoken a lot, I guess, about red flags and symptoms that there are deep-rooted communication issues that exist in a company. But we haven't spoken about the flip side, which is trying to avoid communication issues from occurring from a more positive standpoint, which is when a company maybe is going through rapid change or growth. I think of things like uh, mergers or acquisitions. So. I appreciate that this is a big topic and that must be a really fascinating area for you because there's so many different communications challenges. But do you have one standout piece of advice for businesses that are going through any either rapid or huge changes like that? Um, I think if if you're going through rapid change, then it's it's just about putting things in place that allow you to keep that communication going. So whenever I've done work on mergers and acquisitions, it's always about getting some of those basics right. So making sure people know what the impact is of that in terms of their ability to do their work, the policies, some of the more HR related things. You can't jump into the excitement if the basics aren't there because people won't be ready to be excited. Even if you've been working on it for years or months, everyone else might not know about it until right now. So those are the things to to think about to make sure that you're not trying to celebrate something when people are worried about what that impact is for them. Um, there's also, for me, a distinction to be made between a merger and an acquisition, and we lump them together quite generally in business, but they are fundamentally quite different things, and they will feel different to people. If you are merging, genuinely merging with another organization, that will feel very differently to somebody acquiring you. And recognizing that and calling that out and being open about that, I think is really important from a cultural perspective as well. And one chaotic question for you that I've been thinking about a lot lately, or potentially chaotic, is political and social views and how that impacts communication in the workplace. And I'll give you a bit of context as to why I'm thinking this, is that I think I grew up with this idea, both from parents and peers, that politics and those social views are just things that you don't discuss in the workplace. You go to work, you kind of do your job and those kind of things don't get discussed. But I'm in a team of mostly millennials and it's just a different world and where those things are discussed more and you can't avoid them. Everyone's got on social media, people follow each other on social media. You have a greater exposure to what people's beliefs and belief systems are. And I think that has the potential to cause communication issues in the workplace, but I also think that has the potential to create great culture too. And my question is just, do you see that yourself? Have you seen that over your period of time working in communications that that's become either an increasing issue? Is it even an issue at all? I think it is a bit of an issue. I think there's probably been some recent topical news on the subject <laughs> for some organizations trying to to shut down, you know, political and, and social views being shared. But I, and it is different. You're right. I mean, I was brought up with, you know, you don't talk about your salary, you don't talk yeah. politics, you don't talk religion. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I stick to those rules predominantly through the social media channels that I'm on. I generally don't talk about politics. I generally don't talk about um, religion. But I also am increasingly aware that I want to have a voice and should have a voice on things like diversity and inclusion. Now, and then you could argue that those things are political and, and societal as well. So I think there is identifying for yourself where you're comfortable having those conversations. And for an organization, you can't close those conversations down because, again, we need to shift and, and recognize the fact that we are we are one person, you know, who I am at home and who I am at work has had a huge context collapse in the last year anyway, but that is just one. So 
for me, if I was working in an organisation and somebody wanted to have a, a discussion about religion, now I might choose not to take part in that discussion because I'm not comfortable talking about it. I have certain views that I don't want to share. That's absolutely fine. And I can say, this isn't really a conversation for me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. But it's being adult about it to say that exactly that, this is a conversation that I don't really want to be part of, or having spaces to have respectful conversations. And that's something that we are starting to lose a little bit. But the more you can do that face to face, the more easier it will become. Trying to have some of those conversations online is absolutely dangerous because you lose tonality, you lose context, you lose so many things through just text. But having some good conversations about how people feel about certain issues or things, I think should be fostered. And I think if we don't allow people to debate, discuss uh, in a respectful way, then we're losing certain things that are what make us you know, brilliant as human beings, because we should be able to have conversations, hear other people's perspectives, respect that and, you know, and move on. Mm. A lot of it seems to come back to the point you were making earlier, that if you empower people to find their own communication style, both externally and also the resilience to receiving information and their boundaries, that makes you well equipped for dealing with these types of conversations when they happen. Yeah, definitely. And I and I think also it's not an excuse for bad behavior. You know, there are I I talk a lot about sort of toxic people sometimes in organizations and sometimes there are people that do need to leave organizations because they're not having a positive impact on things. They're being deliberately disruptive and they themselves probably want to go but don't want to go at the same time. Yeah. So it, for me it's just making sure that it's not an excuse for bad behavior. If somebody has a really strong view on something political, it doesn't mean that they are you know, rude, argumentative, disrespectful, you know, that that's still not okay. So it's looking at your values and your culture and making sure that those parameters are in place for those conversations. Because if you start to accept and allow, you know, aggressive, rude, nasty behavior, then that says more about your culture, no matter what the topic might be. I'm interested in terms of, you mentioned throughout the podcast a couple of times about how long you work with companies. I think you have this is it three, six, 12 and 18 month periods that you typically look at? And uh, I'm just interested to know, do you quickly get a sense for how quickly an organization is able to overcome any deep, deep rooted communication issues? Are there signs that gonna, there are easier issues to solve that might be solved in a three to six month period as opposed to an 18 month, two year period? Yes, there's always, there's always things that can be solved quite quickly right. um, that, allow us to, you know, we need some policies here, we need a process here, we need this, this and that there. So there's always some quick things. The longer term stuff is the behavior change. So it's the behavior change from a a leadership perspective, from a a ways of working as a team. Um, Those are things that, that take time. And I do have some clients who I work with for, you know, three months, and then they've got their their fix, they know what they need to do, and they can go off and do that. They might come back and we might have some check-ins, Uh, But there's some people that I've continued to work with for two, three years where I sort of maybe just stay on the periphery of, you know, this is happening. Can you just give us some advice or can you just support us with some of these conversations or or that sort of stuff? So it 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 really varies. The the model itself isn't sort of just done once and then you're forever fixed. (laughs) There's always Mm. there will always be things that happen in organizations that might require you to to relook at something and make that shift. But Hopefully, in going through it once, you've got the tools, and you can i you can easily say, "Ah, oh, we're getting into this, you know, state of chaos again." So we need to do this, and then we can fix it. So hopefully, once you've done it once, you can see what you need to do. But sometimes, you know, things happen. You know, there's been a, a massive global pandemic, and I think that's put people into some elements of chaos as well. Which mm. means that for some organisations, I may be you know going back, or we may just be having other discussions. But generally. I would be with somebody for maybe three, six months, and then I, they would have a plan to go forward that would see them for the next kind of few years, really. I know the pandemic conversation is a whole other episode in itself, but I, I never really thought to ask this. But there's a lot that's been discussed in this episode about the importance of face-to-face conversations. Do you think the same things, the same intent can be achieved through Zoom and all uh, the video conferencing solutions? Yeah, I think it, I think to some degree it can. I was speaking earlier this week around the rise of audio and Zoom fatigue and and how that's all shifted. Mm. But I think 
there's the, and, and for me, it comes back to good governance and good meeting etiquette and all the things that should be in place, whether it's face to face or not. So there are things where, yes, there are many things that would be much easier to do face to face. You know, I do facilitation for, for teams and those things are difficult to be done online. It's much easier doing that in person with a flip chart or a whiteboard. But in terms of the one to one conversations, to me, there is little difference doing that on Zoom than there is doing that in person. But that's based on the fact that those conversations, you have to be present. You know, it's not about I'll be doing my email a bit, but also having a conversation with Jenny. You know, you have to be absolutely with me because I'm absolutely with you for this hour, half an hour, whatever it might be. So it's making sure that that contracting of that behavior or how that meeting or how that session is going to work has been made clear on both both sides because then you get the richness of the conversation. Amazing. Uh, I know we don't have too much time together. So just to close out this episode, I'll obviously encourage our listeners, if you're interested in the topics that we've spoken about on the podcast today, do go buy Jenny's book. You can uh, find that at Kogan page. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And the title of that is Influential Internal Communication. Streamline your corporate communications to drive efficiency and engagement. But yeah, before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and Redefining Communications? Sure. So you can find our website, which is redefiningcoms.com. Um, I am on Twitter as Mrs. Jenny Field, and I'm on Instagram as Jenny Field, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and that's probably enough social platforms, quite frankly. I'm not doing the TikTok or the Snapchat, but I'm very active on, on Twitter and Instagram. So feel free to connect with me there. Brilliant. Hey, thanks so much for your time this morning. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 